Humans Having Discourse Podcast. Discourse? You mean like it's just people talking? Wisdom, politics, religion, anything, everything with Ethos Ananda. Hi, Dr. Jones. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, so thanks thanks for your time. I can't thank you enough. And I know time is precious, so uh, I don't want to, you know, hold you too long. Okay. Um, uh, so you just published a book, Logos Rising, uh, that looks so excellent. Um, I want to read it, but as an expat in China, I don't do physical books anymore. So I'm wondering, will it be on Kindle soon or some other digital option? No. The, answer, the short answer is no. It's, uh, we have a, a, a big first run. We want to sell out, sell all those books. I wish post postage was better. I wish the mail service was better. But as of now, no, it's, there's, it's not going to be on in electronic form anytime soon. Okay, that's fine. Um, I will probably get here's, a physical copy. I just here's a physical uh, copy right here. We got them a week ago. We've been sending out orders every day. So uh, that's the way it is. That's the way it is for now. China is on everyone's mind right now. So the the main takeaway for me for these past, just a month or two ago, what I've learned is that it's now official. China has officially taken the number one spot as the most powerful nation in the world. First of all, do you agree? That can only, first of all, the Chinese economy has surpassed the United States economy. We know that. Okay, so that's that's one indication. We have uh, Jewish Wall Street to thank for this. Basically, beginning with the Reagan administration when the United States converted to Milton Friedman economics, and they set up the era of leverage buyouts on Wall Street. The Wall Street people bought up companies manufacturing the greatest manufacturing power in the world, bought up these companies, loaded them down with debt, and they all went belly up. And then the companies outsourced to China. And this created the, the, the Chinese uh, economic powerhouse that exists today. So in that sense, uh, yes, it's true. And this is always going to be a cause of war. Uh, it's what happened. This World War One happened after uh, Germany surpassed England's economy as the most powerful mm. economy in Europe. So it's always going to be a dangerous period when that type of thing happens. Mm. Um, as for as for me and most people in my city, Chuanzhou, things are like totally back to normal now. There's, you know, you wear a mask going outside, but there's a little less traffic than usual. But I mean, things are like mostly back to normal here. But Meanwhile, in the West, I mean, I like I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's it's a failure like across the board. Um, so I looked up the numbers just two days ago. Uh, there's 114,000 deaths in the world from coronavirus. That's 0.0015% of the global population. Meanwhile, the the whole world is in lockdown. People and People losing their jobs, committing suicide—like it's—it's. It's, I, I honestly can't 
believe my eyes. I knew this was like the plan of the oligarchs for a while now to try and bring the Chinese totalitarian system to the West. But the fact that they've successfully done it already, like before I'm speaking that, it it already happened. Like I, I just can't believe that. So for like who do we blame, first of all? <laughs> okay, well, first of all, the big question here is what was the role that Wuhan, the Wuhan Institute of Virology played in this releasing this pandemic or starting this pandemic? We have two, we have evidence here that uh, the uh, Professor Zhang Ji was uh, paid by uh, USAID and other American uh, government agencies to develop uh, coronavirus by uh, splicing bat DNA into it. Now, the the question. So the, we have also evidence that there's been smuggling and theft going on. Professor uh, Lieber of Harvard University, the Jewish professor at Harvard University, has been arrested by the FBI and uh, for taking uh, fifty thousand dollars a month in payments from the Chinese government, plus a hundred thousand dollars in expenses, plus million dollars to set up uh, bio labs in, in China. There's also evidence that the um, the Chinese have smuggled biological weapons in from Winnipeg in Canada. So it looks as if the Chinese were either some indication is that basically the United States outsourced its bioweapons program to the lab in Wuhan. That's one indication. Uh, but we're faced with a question here. Did, did the virus, let's assume that they were dealing with this toxic material. There's evidence that uh, they hired people, the people were not used to the protocol, and they infected themselves with this thing. And then one of these people died. And at this point, it spread into the population. Now, that would presuppose an accidental uh, source for the virus. But it could be uh, the Chinese government, on the other hand, is saying that it was deli released deliberately by the United States as a bioweapons attack on them. Okay. So what, what, are you, what are you hearing over there? So, okay. So, well, first of all, my my Chinese is, you know, just so-so. So I, I don't actually follow Chinese news in Chinese. And most of the media I get is the same thing that many other Westerners are getting. But let's just skip it past all that. Okay, let's let's even say it was deliberate by the Chinese. So what? They've already cleaned it up here, and and the the problems that are happening in the West are still there, where you know alcohol stores can do sell all they want, but like health, some health stores are are deemed not essential and they're closing. Um, that's you know, you, there's pictures of people being like fined and arrested for being alone on the beach. Like this is, and, 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 and I, I really want to stress here, this is no longer just like a China thing because the other Asian nations, like they're handling it pretty well. Like, uh, I have oh, a wait, friend. Wait, in stop, stop there. Uh, I just got reports today from India. There is massive rioting all across India. Oh, yeah, India is not handling it well. No, India is, <laughs> first of all, what what's the cause of this rioting? Well, Narendra Modi came on television and he announced that he's extending the quarantine till into May. Uh, there are when he created this quarantine, there he he created a situation where large numbers of Indians are going to be threatened with starvation. 
There are large numbers of Indians in places like the slums of Mumbai who work uh, day jobs. They get a job uh, in the morning, they get paid in the evening, and that's how they support themselves and their family. All of these jobs were immediately eliminated as soon as the lockdown was imposed. And they, at this point, the people uh, in the slums of Mumbai decided they're going back home because they can't earn a living in Mumbai anymore. So this set massive numbers of people in motion throughout India. Now, if they have the disease in the slums of Mumbai, now they're going to spread it throughout the entire subcontinent. So now when he announced that he extended the, the, uh, the, the quarantine, huge rioting broke out in Mumbai today. There's rioting all over India now because Modi is basically not being honest with the Indian people. Why is Modi doing this? Why is he locking them down? Well, because the World Health Organization has told him to do that. And if he does that, follows World Health Organization guidelines, he will be eligible for a loan from the IMF. And the IMF has agreed to give India $1 billion dollars uh, on the condition that they follow these guidelines. Well, this billion dollars, I know this from inside information, it's not going to go to fight the pandemic. It's going to go to the oligarchs to, in India to basically prop up their slave labor market because during this period of time, the garment industry has collapsed. And that's one of the main sources of income for this cheap labor paradise called India. So it's not going well in India at all. Yeah, I agree. And actually, Dr. Jones, you were the first person who uh, got me researching into India. I have friends in India, but I didn't actually look at the numbers until you said there was something like 30 deaths in the whole country. I said, no way. I can't believe it. they're locking down the whole country over 30 deaths. And I looked it up and it was like, you know, 72 deaths or something, which is just as insane. It's beyond insane. I mean, it's literally it must be evil. That's the only word I can use for it. It's so deliberately full of darkness. I just have to call yeah, it out this as is, evil. This is uh, out of 1.3 billion people. So yeah. it's an infinitesimal, especially they pick They must pick up 30 people every day from dead bodies from the sidewalks of Calcutta, simply mm. dying of all the poverty-related diseases that you find in places like that. So it's mysterious. Whenever you're confronted with irrationality, which I think is what we're confronted here, you have to look for a, a hidden agenda. And I think the hidden agenda is IMF money if you follow World Health Organization guidelines. And the World Health Organization uh, has a vested interest in inflating the numbers. There's no question about it. So today, another article just came out today. The New York Times uh, announced that uh, they've added 3,700 deaths to corona, to the coronavirus statistics. What this means is now it's over 10,000. Now, these people were not tested, but they're presumed to have died of coronavirus. Well, why are you presuming this? Well, because it's in the interest of certain groups to inflate the numbers. Uh Here's one thing maybe you can help me out with. Um, I see that there's 6 million, 16 million people, Americans, losing their jobs. I can't understand how or why that's happening. With me, for instance, and uh, I, I think all my Chinese friends here, yeah, I haven't worked in three months, but I still have the job. I'm, some people don't get payment. Some pe I'm getting full payment, which is great, but... Like why I just 
can't imagine why they're losing their jobs. Why is that actually happening? Well, this is an attack on the lower middle class. And the lower middle class in America has businesses. They have businesses like restaurants. And all of the restaurants were closed. We have a situation here in mm. South Bend, Indiana. There is one death here from coronavirus in St. Joseph County, which is where I live. And this was an 84-year-old man who showed up at the hospital with pneumonia. Uh, he was tested, and, uh, and then he tested positive, and then he died. Well, if it hadn't been for the hysteria in the media, he never would have been tested, and so therefore we wouldn't, he wouldn't have qualified as being a coronavirus death. So that's part of the problem here. You know, you've got this hysteria that is driving up the numbers when the reality is not is not the same. And then you're advocating measures that are not necessary. Uh, the closing of all of the restaurants, for example, is going to put a strain on that lower middle class group of people who own their own businesses. They do not have the reserves that the big, you know, McDonald's has, for example. McDonald's is not going to go out of business. They're still in business. They're doing takeout and they will always be in business because they have that much capital and the ability to borrow uh, behind it. These people, this, we go to a, a Mexican restaurant after mass on Saturday. Well, uh, if this man bought that building, he probably has a mortgage. And if he doesn't make his mortgage payment, he's going to lose the building. And that means the waitresses who work there will have no place to work. And the, this will just snowball. And that's mm, okay. part of the problem here. Okay, so it's 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 really the businesses that are shutting down, and that's where the jobs are. Well, are they're being the shut down. They, they they're basically the state of Indiana says you if you own a restaurant, you can't open to the public. I mean, that's just one example of this type of shutdown. That, uh, as far as I can tell, is not warranted. What what we what you're seeing here is. Uh, the empire organizes everything from the top. And mm. so New York City is a very important city and they've got a bigger problem. I talked to a correspondent there who told me that it was the main reason New York has a problem is because of 9-11, because of all that toxic dust that went into the air, people breathed it and they all have compromised uh, pulmonary systems in New York City. So there would naturally... But then you've got this, as I said, this New York Times story saying, well, they just added 3,700 names to the to the fatality list overnight. So overnight, the whole uh, thing got worse in New York City. Just when they were we were being told that the hospitals are empty and it's going down, the numbers are going down. Then you have this artificial inflation of the statistics that is going to warrant a longer shutdown. And that's what the oligarchs want. If you listen to Bill Gates, if you listen to Anthony Fauci, depending on what day you listen to him, uh, uh, you listen to Jeffrey Sachs, they are all interested in prolonging this. And there seems to be a strategy emerging here. The pay, one of the part, uh, issues here is to prevent Donald Trump from getting reelected. That's what they mm -hmm. want to do. Yep. One of the, another important I issue for people like Bill Gates is give us time to invent a vaccine. Bill mm -hmm. Gates is Mr. Vaccine. After he got <laughs> out of Microsoft, he got into the vaccine business. And even on well, one of his interviews, he even had the gall to say, well, we will uh, we have a test that you can use. He's hawking his tests on an interview on mainstream media, and then he starts talking about immunity certificates. You know, in other words, if you buy my test, 
I'll give you an immunity certificate and then you can go around and do your business. Well, who made this man our ruler? Who elected him? Nobody. And, and at a certain point, Donald Trump is going to have to wake up to the fact that these people are out to destroy him. They're using medicine to destroy him. And he better get control of the situation. Because if he doesn't, they're going to determine the situation and they're going to ruin him and ruin the economy as well. Mm. There is. Uh, this whole thing is a mess. I have I have literally nothing more, I think, can come from that. So I want to do a quick shout out to uh, the only comment from our last talk that's worth mentioning again from Mama Lama. <laughs> he she said. Uh, the West has split into half anti-Logos, half pro-Logos. I think this explains a lot of what's happening. And this has been going on for centuries. So I, th yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the, the, the gist of my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. The axis of human history are the people who support Logos on the one side and the people who hate Logos on the other. At the time of the crucifixion, it was the, the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ and the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ. It's about 400 years later, St. Augustine came up with a, a plan for the, the real plan for human history is th that choice. Uh, he described it as the city of God and the city of man. The city of God uh, is oh. love of God to the extinction of self. The city of man mm. of itself to the extinction of God. That is the Brilliant. fundamental axis of human history. It's Brilliant. never going to change until God, until Jesus Christ comes again. It will not change. And that's precisely what we're being uh, faced with uh, in our day. But the point, Logos is important here because we're confronted always with science now, whenever a man announces that he's a scientist, that's the end of the discussion. I mean, I, I can't say, I'm so, oh, you're a scientist. I guess I better shut up at this point. Someone needs to point out the fact that this is antithetical to representative government and democracy. Because you're always faced with a situation where it's not going to be one scientist. It's going to be a number of scientists. And you're going to get contradictory instructions, contradictory demands, contradictory programs from these different scientists. And at this point, you're going to have to decide, well, how are you going to decide? Well, you have Logos. <laughs> That's why how you're going to decide, because it's going to come down to a human being, let's say like Donald Trump, uh, to give the prime example, who's going to have to say, how am I going to adjudicate all of these competing voices? Well, I have to use logos, I have to use reason, I have to analyze, I have to come up with a, a rational uh, explanation of what's going on, and then I have to act on it. And the idea of discovering the truth and then acting on it is called prudence, and prudence is a form of logos. And so what we're saying here mm, is okay. that logos is now more necessary than ever. That's why I wrote this book, because what you have is that whole scientific uh, technocracy that began pretty much with the Enlightenment, where the scientists tell us what is real. That's all collapsing before our eyes. It's, mm. it's over. It's over. And we're going to have to make decisions based on reason. And that's why Logos is important. And that's why this book is important.
Mm. I personally believe, uh, I mean, as great as that sounds, I don't think it's enough. I don't think rationality, I mean, I mean, okay. So, so this is what I want to ask you. Like, uh, I guess just linguistically in terms of daily conversation, what's the difference between logos and truth? Truth is the correspondence of the thing and the mind. So truth is psychological. That's the mind apprehends that there is a correspondence between the thing and reality. I'm sorry, between reality and the mind. So if I say, you know, the gun is on the table in the dining room, you go in. That's that's words. Those are words that I just said. If you go into the dining room and the gun is there, you say the correspondence. So that's true. Logos is ontological. It's not psychological. Okay, Logos is simply the attribute of being, saying that the ultimate attribute of being is rationality, is a form which is rational, which can be comprehended by the mind, uh, and your mind can correspond to the source of all rationality, which is God's mind. So there can be a correspondence between your mind and God's mind, and when you have that correspondence, you have truth. And so you can be, so then once you have the truth, then you can act. So that, that, that's, that's the connection. You need to make contact with Logos in order to understand uh, the truth. Once you have the truth, you can be uh, assured that you know reality, you know what's going on, and then you can be secure in taking some form of action. That's basically uh, the whole point of human life on this planet uh, for all of human history. Yes. Um, yeah, the, the security aspect there is essential. That's what we're missing, I think. Um, and so, I, yeah, so I'm, what I'm trying to say is this is good news. This is good news because now you're freed from the tyranny of the scientist who... The scientist is invariably in the pay of the oligarchs. That's that's pretty much why he's been called a scientist. Anthony Fauci is the spokesman for Big Pharma, and so what you have uh, are a lot of large, a lot of German scientists, to be honest with you, who are simply saying, "Well, I have this degree, and this is what I understand," uh, and you have to make a decision. Who's who's right in this matter? I think it's clear that these people, these disinterested. German scientists who have basically oftentimes made money on their own or are not dependent on Fauci or the big farmer for their income uh, have the better argument. And I think that their, their argument is going to prevail. I think that the, the reason is going to prevail at this point. It's an act of faith on my part, but I think that's what's, what we're seeing here is there's a counter narrative that is emerging and more and more people are accepting it. And it's not the panic mainstream news media paradigm. I think what I've been doing my whole life is I've been using the word truth as if it were logos. I, I That's actually what it always was for me was an ontological thing as in like God is the truth and the truth is like a, is like a, a real thing. It, you were saying it's, it's kind of like, it's it's being itself or it's it's an aspect of being i forget it's the, the word psychological apprehension of being 
That's what it is. Truth is psychological. I don't want to relativize truth. Okay. It is true. If it's true, you have a firm foundation in reality because truth means that your ideas have made contact with reality. That's what it means. But I'm saying truth is fundamentally a psychological perception, uh, whereas logos is an ontological uh, statement. It's an ontological fact. That That's the difference. That's the difference. I'm not trying to disrupt anyone's belief. I'm not trying to be- become a, a, a cultural relativist or anything like that. I'm just stating the fact as it is. You have to perceive the truth uh, before you can act on it. And that perception of the truth is what we call truth. You have to perceive the being, the fundamental, the foundation of your belief in being is known as the truth. That's what that's. And then once you have that firm foundation beneath your feet, then you can start acting in a positive way. And I'm sure you and I would agree that that foundation can only come from God, right? God is Logos, and Logos is God. This was the great revelation that St. John made in the in his gospel. In the beginning, there was Logos. Logos is with God, and Logos is God. So it's not uh, little balls bumping into each other to give you a competing version of ultimate reality. That's known as atomism. It's also the basis of materialism. And it, it, it was exploded in the 20th century uh, through the work of uh, Werner Heisenberg and the people who created the atomic bomb. There is no such thing as an atom, if by atom you mean something that is an irreducible particle that makes up everything else. It doesn't exist. Heisenberg realized you can split the atom into smaller and smaller pieces until finally it disappears as energy. Uh, but when that energy releases, it's very powerful, and that's the, basically the, 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 uh, <laughs> the effect of the, to- the atomic bomb. So materialism died during the 20th century, but people are still acting as if it's around. It will probably never go away. There are certain people who are invested in it, and science is one of the main mouthpieces of materialism in our day. Logos is God. God is Logos, but... Um... God is also greater than Logos, too, at the same time, right? No, nothing is greater than Logos, because Logos is God, and nothing is greater than God. They are interchangeable terms here. The the one man who figured this out was Hegel, and he used the German word for Logos, Vernunft. Every time you hear Vernunft, when you read about Vernunft in Hegel, he's talking about God in in a way that he thought could be uh, comprehensible to the Enlightenment, which was tired of religious war. Mm. So it is uh, Logos. The, the Greeks who started off thinking this way uh, were not wrong, but their view got expanded by St. John, who had uh, and the Incarnation. So at this point, the Logos became flesh. No one could have expected that. If you talk to Plato, his idea of following Logos was to rise up through contemplation to the realm of forms. And if you can contemplate the realm of forms, that's eternal and you will be happy. Well, St. Augustine tried that and he failed because you cannot rise up to the realm of forms because you're burdened by all sorts of sin. 
including original sin, which is a kind of congenital weakness that always leads you uh, to become a slave of your passions. And so this is the big turning point came when these people realized, well, we can't do it. It's impossible, but we don't have to do it because now the Logos has come down to us. We don't have to rise up to the Logos. The Logos has come down to us. And so for uh, basically a thousand years, nobody did anything but meditate on those theological issues. And then once uh, by the beginning, the middle of the uh, 13th century, when Aristotle arrived in places like the University of Paris, then people started thinking about science again, and that led to the whole rise of science and the whole uh, marginalization of religion, uh, which was facilitated by Luther, who just made it a kind of anti-rational enterprise. All this is discussed in this book, the whole big big picture, Hmm. beginning to end. Yeah, um, I, I can put that to the side, the whole big picture theology stuff. I can, for now, forget about that. I guess what I'm still having trouble with is the practical applied aspect of it. So, you know, there's the Hegelian triad, right? Logos, ethos, and pathos. So, how, how, like, if, <laughs> like, God is God. I already have God, <laughs> you know? So, like, how do I live with logos and why don't I just say God? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I have Krishna. Because, I God have that became, whole thing. because God came down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He did not abandon his people to, so that everyone had to be a philosopher in order to be saved. That was the Greek platonic view. It didn't work. Uh, and it's, it, 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 they, they abandoned it. But it's not necessary. So if you're asking on a practical level, what is the cutting edge of Logos in human history? It's the Catholic Church. Ever since St. John wrote that gospel using the term Logos, the Catholic Church became the cutting edge of Logos in human history. So if you're interested in a practical application of this, you need to become a Catholic. You need to get baptized because the Logos incarnate did not leave everyone to their own devices. He created an institution that would help them in a practical way. And the name of that institution is the Catholic Church. So if you're asking me for practical advice, that's the practical advice. Get baptized, join the Catholic Church, and then you will have that entire history of 2,000 years of people thinking through this. Great minds all throughout history saying, well, if you want a pictorial representation, then you can go to Italy and they'll give you, you know, like a... Raphael and and uh, all of these people, they did that in a pictorial sense. If you want in terms of music, it's they, all of these people have collaborated over the centuries in a practical way to help you. And the focus of this is going to be the Catholic Church. So that's all I can say to you. I you know I wish I could tell you everyone to to follow me, the Jones religion. You know, <laughs> become a Jonesian. You know, and send me ten dollars, and I'll make you happy. No, I'm not going to do that. It's not my job. The, the, the vehicle of Logos in human history is the Catholic Church. You need to join the Catholic Church if you want some type of practical help in achieving that. Mm. Okay, then. Um, I'll have to figure out where Dharma fits in with this whole thing. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> if, that's what if that's what your issue is, you're going to have to work all of this out. 
I'm saying, <laughs> you ask me yeah. a question, I give you the answer. If you ask me pra something about practical things you can do, I've told you what you can do. So the burden is on you. It's not on me. I have released. I have done my. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, so you. This is karma. So you you've done your job. So now there's no bad karma coming your way. It, that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. And. Uh, okay, we can. Uh, we can call it a, a morning for you and a night for me. Okay. Good luck. Good luck with whatever's going on over there. Thank you so much. And uh, you too, Dr. Jones. Thanks again. Okay. Peace. Peace. V for Vishnu. <laughs>